Welcome to My Podcast Knows What You Read in the Dark, a book club podcast made by chaotic people for chaotic people. I'm Caitlin. I'm Lady. I'm Kristen. And I'm B. And we are four friends here to tell you what's what about the books we read and loved this month or the books we hated this month. Lady, you have a question for us to start off with, and I'm really excited to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, if you've listened to previous episodes, you know that we all love fantasy. And I was wondering, what are your favorite like mythological fantasy creatures to read about? Dragons. I was waiting for Caitlin to say dragons. I was like, right She had it ready. Yep. Locked and loaded. Oh, yeah. We, we already knew. <laughs> yep. This is a hard one for me. I really enjoy... Well, it's tough. Part of my degree in college was studying mythology, but um, <laughs> so I just really appreciate things that give a nod to ancient literature or like fit really well within the like lore of a place. And so for me, like I I just love a good uh, fae brought in. You know what? I'm not I'm not a huge mermaid fan. See, I love mermaids. Yeah, I am. I also like mermaids, but if you're giving me the choice between them and something else, I'm usually going to pick something else. I don't think I've ever read a mermaid book. You know, I don't think I have either, honestly, but I'll out myself. I've read a lot of fic with them. Actually, that's not true. I've read, well, if you count sirens, I read a book about a siren. It was To Kill a Kingdom. It's like a retelling of The Little Mermaid. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I really liked that book. Um, But maybe it's just like, the Little Mermaid is one of my favorite movies growing up, so I love anything with um, sirens, mermaids, anything like that. I do love a good dragon story. Lady, what's yours? I'm with B. I really, really like fairies. Which leads me to my second part of the question, which is, are you, for these creatures, are you a purist? Do you like them to be a certain way, or do you appreciate when authors try to give a twist on things? Because for me, I'm very much, I'm very specific about the fairies that I like and the fairies that I don't like. And I'm wondering if you have that other, that that kind of uh, feeling about dragons and stuff. This is why we're made for each other, lady. I'm just I know. <laughs> I need my fairies wicked. I'm definitely that way with fairies, but I am like completely the opposite with uh, dragons. I hate any time a book has made them out to be like, big evil bad guys i i don't like reading books where the like whole point of the story is like there's this book that i've been really wanting to read i can't remember what it's called but it has a dragon on the cover and i can tell just from the cover art that the dragon is supposed to be some big bad and i'm like but he's he's a baby he just needs love yeah look at him he's a baby Kristen, what about you i think i think it depends for me right so like um, I'm like you guys with fairies, you know, I like them to be like wretched, evil little things, you know, but for other creatures, I'm kind of wishy-washy. I don't really care. As long as it's interesting and I'm engaged, you can kind of do whatever you want and I'll be along for the ride. Yeah. <laughs> when I wrote the question, I was thinking of uh, vampires and Twilight and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that brings me to say like, I do love a good vampire story. I don't know why I didn't think of them initially, but I don't know. I'm not picky with my vampires either. Like, yeah. I don't like Stephanie Meyer's vampires because they're stupid, mm. but <laughs> a lot of different books I've read that have vampires in them, they kind of do their own little thing. And I 
like all of them. I mean, some examples, King of Battle and Blood is really good. Um, It's kind of got its own twist. There's a Katie Robert book that just came out, Court of the Vampire Queen. That has really good vampires. Um, When they bite you, you orgasm. Nice. <laughs> which is, you know, something. I don't know. I don't, I'm not really that picky with it. But like I said, but with fairies is different. Yeah. Like I'm not high and mighty on like Sarah J. Mass's fairies. Um, They don't feel like fae. Yeah, they feel like Twilight and vampires. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, I know that they're fae, and I guess I can appreciate it, but they don't act like it. B, what about you? It's when the adaptations or the, you know, like, twisting something around, if it just feels straight up fake, like, you didn't even, like, pay attention to what other stuff typically is supposed to be or whatever. I don't know. And that's kind of how I felt with Twilight, where it's like, no... No, vampires don't sparkle. No. You know, <laughs> but when there is an adaptation and it's for me, it's a lot of like if there's going to be adaptations, it has to be good writing or it has to be written well or otherwise I just can't get into it. And I think that's part of for me. Like I just can't get into it if it's kind of straying too far away from maybe what's familiar, I guess, but just too far away from lore. And then it just, I guess with bad writing, it feels too forced, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like, if it feels intentional, it's a little bit different. But whenever it is just like, clearly the author just had an idea and was like, oh, let's do this, then it's boring. And I don't want to, I don't want to read it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I agree. Like, I think it's, yeah, there has to be a certain amount of, if you're gonna adapt it, I feel like I want the cleverness, you know? Yeah. I read a book recently, it was a Dracula retelling, which at the time sounded awesome because I just read A Diary of Blood. I was huge into vampires in December. (laughs) And so um, after I read A Diary of Blood, I decided to read this other book. I think it was called Blood Orange. It was so dull compared to A Diary of Blood, which was an amazing read. Oh, A Diary of Blood is so good. Yeah, it's one of the most beautiful books I've ever read. It's written so well. Oh, it is. You know, and like a Dracula retelling should be, I don't know if fun is the right word, but like you shouldn't be bored. Yeah. And it felt like it was calling itself a retelling just to call itself one. Like it didn't feel at all like a vampire story or anything. And when I got to the end of it, it was just so underwhelming because like you said, like, you know, the writing wasn't very good. It didn't feel like authentic to the original story. It's just like, you really have to, if you're going to do something like that and take a creature and make it your own, you really need to know what you're doing or it's going to fall extremely flat. Yeah. Well, lady, I know you asked us about creatures because of your book this month. Yes. So do you want to tell us about what you read this month? Yeah. And you're going to be very happy too, because it is about dragons. Yes. So this month I read Together We Burned by Isabel Ibanez. Oh, I think I've heard of that. It's a standalone YA novel inspired by medieval Spain. Ooh. Yeah. And the basic of it is that instead of bulls, the matadors, they fight dragons. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. I know what I just said about not wanting dragons to be the bad guy, but I am down for this. (laughs) She takes it back. And they are not the bad guys. That's the good part. Like Hell yeah. It's a very complex novel. Anyway, getting ahead of myself. So our protagonist is Zarela Zalvidor, and she lives in Centivilla Hispalia with her father. Her father is like a famous dragonador. He's this big, like, hero who fights dragons in the ring, and their family owns their own ring. So he's basically him, his wife, and Zarela. They're running this ring where he fights dragons, and before the show, the mom dances flamenco Hell yeah. to, like, hype up the crowd. 
in Hispania, especially in their city, dragon fighting is like a very popular form of entertainment. Just like uh, corridas are, it's very deeply ingrained in their culture. According to Zarella, it's like an art form, but it's also like a way to give people hope. Because as opposed to bulls in real life, the dragons in this universe, they're like, they're dragons, they're very dangerous. They attack villages and kill people. So when you see someone fight one and survive the encounter, it's a way to feel like the people can win against these big creatures, these big beasts. So you can imagine that these shows are like big productions. It's super expensive. The arenas buy their own dragons. They hire tamers to take care of them, only for the dragon to be slaughtered during the show. So it's quite the money pit. But when it's running smoothly, then the ticket sales bring more people to keep the arena running. Zarilla herself, she's a flamenco dancer, so she takes after her mom. She dances before the beginning of her father's show, but the crowd doesn't really like her as a dancer. They preferred her mother, and her mother died about a year before the events of the book. And you probably guessed it, she died killed by a dragon. Oh, no. So to Zarilla, dragons are like these very, like, she's really afraid of them. They're these very dangerous creatures. It escaped from another arena after the dragon door from that arena failed to kill it and her mother got burned alive. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> the story starts at the 500th anniversary show of their family's arena. And things all go according to plan. Her father kills a dragon. The crowd is happy. Until at the end, more dragons burst into the arena. And her father is barely badly burned. A lot of people die. And the whole family is basically disgraced because of that. People are now like afraid to go to that arena because of what happened. And even the other arenas in the village, they start to suffer because of that. So Zarila investigates. And she becomes convinced that someone sabotaged the cages and freed their dragons. Which makes sense because there are activists protesting in front of dragon rings all the time. Basically, she's getting all that shit from like the media, like the, the newspapers. But when she goes to the authorities, no one believes her. And since her dad got badly burned, now she's the only able-bodied member of her family. She's left with a dragon arena with no dragon, mm. no tamer to care for the dragons, and no dragonador. Mm. She doesn't have enough money to buy new dragons, not enough money to pay a new dragon fighter not to mention that none of the dragon fighters would work in her arena now that this happened in there and that they're basically disgraced right oh yes so she has only one option and it is to become a dragon adore herself oh yes hell yeah <laughs> right so enter our love interest and my new book boyfriend tell me about him arturo diaz de Monsera. He's a very grumpy dragon trainer who loves dragons and hates everything that Zarella stands for. Yes! Yes! Give me the grumpy man! (laughs) Sorry, can we hold on? I gotta go and get a marriage certificate. (laughs) I know, right? You can imagine. It's an enemies to lovers story. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) Say less. Say less. I'm literally going to download this book when we get off this call and start reading it tonight. Yes. And Arturo also used to be a dragon adorer himself, but he quit because he doesn't want to hurt dragons. Oh. Grumpy and soft? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. oh. My heart. So now his job is as a, they call it a tamer. So he goes off in the wilds and he captures dragons, but he also trains them. Because that's what he likes to do now is that instead of hurting the dragons, he likes to train them and prove that they're not like these bloodthirsty creatures. Grumpy activist man. (laughs) Yes. 
he he works in a ranch where he's basically just training them. He doesn't he he knows that they're gonna get slaughtered, but he still he still trains them before that happens. I just I love this man. So Zarella one day she visits the ranch and she offers to pay him to train her, but he refuses because he knows that if he trains her, she's gonna kill the dragons and he doesn't want more blood on his hands. But she's stubborn as fuck and she refuses to leave the ranch until he accepts. <laughs> and she literally just like camps outside of there like for days on end until he begrudgingly accepts. This book has a lot going on. There's like the mystery of the potential sabotage. There's like Arturo's mysterious Dragonador past and like the general discussions of the ethics of dragon fighting. When it was about like 50 pages from the end, I even opened up Goodreads to see if there was a sequel planned because I was that convinced that it couldn't be a standalone. Oh my god. But it is. And I'm sad. Oh. I kind of wish it was a series instead. Like, I love the setting, but we don't really get a lot of the dragon fighting, like, badassery that, like, the premise promised me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, the romance is a slow burn, but, like, imagine the, imagine the slow burn extended to multiple books. Oh, yeah. Like, kill me now. Like, I want that. It would be so sweet. Yeah. When I'm sitting there reading it, I'm, like, screaming, like, just kiss already. But I love it. I love it. Oh, same. It takes them a long time to, like, even get close enough to be considered friends. Not only that, the romance just, like, they're perfect. I love them. I really like this book. That's when it's the sweetest, though, you know? Yes. Like, it feels so authentic when it just takes them so long to get close and, like, "Mm, it's so sweet. I love slow burns so much and everybody hates on them and I don't know why. I love slow burns. They don't understand the angst. (laughs) Like They don't. They don't understand the tension. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm totally with you. Captive Prince keeps you on the edge of your seat. The whole time. The whole time. It's two whole books, essentially. Of you being on the edge of your seat for this slow burn. Yes. Oh, also, they dry hump. Oh my god! (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) You just keep saying things and I'm like, check, check, check. Yeah, Yeah, we have a lot more recording to do, but can we just hang up and I gotta go read this book. It's a good school read this book and come back. (laughs) Yeah. It's so funny that you mentioned this book because Carrie Maniscalco is really good friends with this author. Oh, really? Yeah, and so whenever this book was coming out, I follow Carrie on Instagram. And so she was posting a lot about this book when it first came out. And it looked really good. Like, the cover of it is gorgeous. I have the Owl Crate version of this book. And the cover includes, like, a drawing of both characters. It's gorgeous. Ooh. Yeah. When I saw it, I was like, this book looks really, really good. Like, I'm going to have to read it eventually. And I just... You know how it is. I just never get around to it. But I'm definitely going to have to add it to the list now. Yeah. I wasn't a big fan of the writing itself. Like, it does this thing where it just sprinkles Spanish sentences in the middle of the dialogue. What? And to me, as a bilingual person, it made me feel like they were speaking Spanglish in, like, medieval Spain. So for me, it really did not, like, hit... It's it's not like just one word here and there. It's like literally like whole sentences of like Spanish. That's a little weird. Which I mean if and if you don't understand Spanish at all, which I'm sure people reading this book probably do, like you don't even there's no translation or anything. Which wasn't a problem for me, but I bet it's probably a problem for other people. Yeah, I I know enough Spanish that I could maybe take my sixth grade class again and not fail. <laughs> It reminds me of when an author will have a bilingual character, quote unquote, forget to switch back to oh a language. God. Yes. It, that's, that's the opposite, where they 
I'm assuming they're supposed to be spe- speaking English, Spanish the whole time, but because of these sentences like sprinkled throughout, I'm just like, wait, are they suddenly speaking in Spanish and they weren't before? Yeah. Just for me, it just didn't click. The epilogue suffered a lot from like telling and not showing, but like overall, really liked this book. I was looking through it before we started recording and just like being all in my feels about these characters. Ooh, that's good. That's good to know. That's the kind of tea that I want. Yeah. I'm always looking to get in my feels about new characters. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes. I have the Owl Crate version, and of course, this came with like a little letter from the author. And in the, in the letter, she explains that when she was a kid, she went to like a bullfighting thing, and she was like literally traumatized. She, she's of, um, I think she's Latina, but she has like family in Spain or something. And she understands that like it's a big part of Spanish culture, right? It's this like, 3,000 year old tradition yeah, and it's like a cornerstone of their heritage she writes that she began to wonder like how a society can move forward while also honoring where they came from and say she writes it's an art form but surely art can transform into something else and what if a, trans- a tradition could be reinvented Ooh. and so this whole book is about like trying to figure out a way to like honor this tradition while also like with Arturo, who's like kind of more progressive in his uh, views, he's basically like showing Zarella that maybe her views are kind of like biased against dragons and like maybe we shouldn't be killing them. There surely there's another way. Yeah. I'm not gonna spoil what happens, but it's really gorgeous. I love when authors do that. I love when they take a piece of their history, whether it be here or from another country or whatever, or um or a custom and they put like fantasy spins on it yeah yeah it's like it helps you understand one the culture that it comes from because you know they're coming from a place of where they know all about it and they but at the same time you get something a little bit different it adds to the flavor of well it's dragons this time or you know whatever else yeah and it's not preachy at all like it's not like a oh we should completely change this it's like very respectful from my point of view like i'm not spanish i'm a white person but yeah, like the activists were not portrayed necessarily as like bad people for protesting in front of the dragon rings, but also like the people doing the dragon fighting were not portrayed as bad people either. They're just like yeah. doing their job. That's even better. Yeah. Yeah. Read this book. Arturo's very angry. I love him. <laughs> yeah, I definitely want to like find this book and, and download it. My book does not have anything to do with dragons, and that's honestly the most disappointing sentence. I can't imagine this book if it had dragons. <laughs> no. <laughs> so my book, like I said, unfortunately does not have any dragons in it. Aww. Oh, disappointing. It's not going to be a dragon spectacular episode. Honestly, I kind of wish that I had brought a dragon book now so we could do a dragon spectacular episode. But I realized that I brought this book up in almost every episode of this podcast so far. <gasps> and I decided it was a good idea to just feature it as my book for a full episode segment sooner rather than later. So today. I am going to talk about the book that pushed me off the deep end into full-blown insanity, and that book is Gideon the Ninth. Oh. Of course. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) I knew it was coming up soon. If I had to guess, I was like, yeah, this is going to happen. Thank God. So this is yet another book that I forced John Kristen upon pain of death. (laughs) Basically, like, grabbed her and dragged her backwards off a cliff with me, a la Hannibal. 
I don't think I've ruined someone's life quite so quickly or efficiently since I made Aaliyah read Captive Prince in 2020. Literally. Yeah. Both rereading Gideon the Ninth right now. Again? Again. Yes. I literally, over the weekend, I drove, like, had to drive like six hours and I listened to Harrow the Ninth and finished it. And when I got home, I was like, I want to listen to Gideon now. And I was like, Caitlin... Tell me that it's stupid to listen to this when I just started another audio. Of course she's going to enable you. Yeah. yeah. She was like, you asked the wrong person. I was like, you're right. And so again, I started it again. I sent the like the eyes looking emoji and I was like, I'm the wrong person for you to ask this question to. <laughs> All right. Convince me to continue this series. Okay. So Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Murr is the first book in her Locked Tomb series. Honestly, an alternative name for this series could be Lesbian Antics, the series. Hell yeah. Gideon the Ninth takes place in the future, after humanity has left Earth and set out across the stars, uh, colonizing outer space and creating the Empire of the Nine Houses. Each house resides on a planet within our solar system, and they all have necromantic powers. Not every single individual person, but... It is possible to be born with powers, and every planet has people on it that have powers. The one that we care about, though, is Pluto, the Ninth House. This is where the titular character Gideon Nav lives. She is 18, an orphan indentured serf of the Ninth House, absolutely hates the Ninth and everyone in it. Everyone on the Ninth has never really hidden the fact that she's a burden to them. There's actually a really, really good line where Gideon says, what greater debt could be accrued than that of being brought up? Which kind of sums up their entire attitude about her. Yeah. Um, Apart from Iglamine, Gideon's swordmaster, at best, Gideon is ignored by the adults of the Ninth, and at worst, they make her life a living hell. And no one on the Ninth is better at making her life a hell than her archenemy, the reverend daughter, Harrowhark Nonagesimus, heir of the Ninth House. And she is a necromantic prodigy. She's only 17. And she's very hot. Yeah. She's a grimy little freak. It's the best. She's a feral cat of a girl. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yes. The list of nicknames that Gideon has for Harrow. Oh, it's the best. It's the fucking best. I have them. I have a couple of them later, but it is like, it's like nine miles long. I can't wait. I have a little section about Harrow later. I'm going to talk about her. I can't. I can't wait. (laughs) So. Harrow is the greatest necromancer of her generation, a prodigy, and the adults of the Ninth have basically given her free reign to do whatever she wants, including torture Gideon as much as her heart desires. These years of torment and neglect have really made Gideon desperate to leave the Ninth and join the cohort, which is essentially the military of the Nine Houses, and the book opens with Gideon's latest attempt at escaping the Ninth House. She ultimately fails at this, and when that happens, Harrow offers Gideon a deal, the a real legitimate chance of escape from the ninth, but there's a catch. Isn't there always? Isn't there always a catch? <laughs> What's the catch? I haven't. I haven't read Gideon the Ninth yet. That's all right. There's so much to. There's so much to know about this book. It really doesn't matter. I don't think she's gonna spoil it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's like. She's not even ten percent in. No. Literally, like my notes don't go beyond first. I think four or five chapters. I finished this book and I don't know how it can possibly go on after this. Caitlin can spoil this book for you and you wouldn't believe what she told you. Yes, that's a bullet point I have in here. (laughs) Okay. So there's a catch. Harrow and the other heirs of the other houses have been summoned by the Emperor Undying to undergo the trials of Lictorhood, which Lictors are basically necromatic saints. They're essentially demigods and they serve the Emperor directly, like they live with him. 
I'm sure you can guess that that's a huge honor because the emperor is like God to these people. So it's an opportunity to become a holy saint of the emperor and Harrow refuses to pass it up. So she needs Gideon to become her cavalier, which is essentially a sworn sword that serves the heir of the house. Gideon will have to travel with Harrow to Canaan House, which is a monumental facility on the first house, which is in, on Earth. And uh, that's the former home of the emperor. And in order to escape from her life on the nine, Gideon will have to act as Harrow's protector while Harrow works to uncover the secrets of Lichterhood buried deep within the bowels of Canaan House. But as soon as they arrive, things start to go awry and tensions between the heirs of various houses and the other house cavaliers begin to rise and kind of come to a head. I can't really say much more about the plot, because trying to talk about this series without giving away a spoiler is like walking through a field of landmines, but it honestly wouldn't even matter. The spoilers for this series are so incomprehensible out of context, you would never know what I was talking about. Absolutely, there's no way. I keep seeing like text posts and jokes and fan arts, and I'm like, I'm lost, and I've read one yeah. book of this series, I don't know anything. Yep. I told Caitlin that like the plot of this book sounds like... If you took the plot of like eight different books and yeah. you put them in an AI yeah. and then had it make a new book. <laughs> that's pretty you. much it. Yeah. And that sounds like an insult and it's not. No, it's, it's not. not. It's incredibly written. Like it's so beautiful. So Kristen, did you know that cows have best friends? Uh, did you know that God is a Twitch streamer? I did. I did know that God is a Twitch streamer. Those are things that are actually in this series. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. So... Anyways, that's all I'm going to say about the plot, but I do have a little bit to say about the characters and the writing. As far as characters go, pretty much every character in this series has something going for them that makes them an interesting character to read about, even if you hate them. Oh, yes. Like, I hate so many characters in this book with a vitriol reserved for only the devil himself. And I still yeah, like- And they tried Antarius. I love her. <laughs> I want to burn her in a fire. I love the teens from, I think, fourth? Yes, Jean-Marie and Isaac, and they are from the fourth house. Oh, they are from the fourth. Nice. Good for me. I love the, the voice that the lady uses for the teens in the audiobook, too, where she's like, No, Magnus, don't talk about us. <laughs> it's so funny. I love it. It's so good. It's so good. It's the like the best audiobook I've ever listened to. Honestly, same. Like, I mean, I yeah. don't listen to a lot, but... It feels like I'm listening to a one-woman show. I'm not just listening to an audiobook. It does, yeah. Yeah. But anyways, Tamsin Murr, like, really understands what makes people tick and what makes relationships between people compelling to read, whether they're good or bad. The interpersonal relationships in this series are so complex. I honestly could have spent my entire recording session, like not even just my bit about the book, this entire recording session, talking about the relationship dynamic of the third house. It has this like depth and super weird power imbalance tied together with some just completely spoiled, rotten, fucked up people. Yeah. I know that- yeah doesn't really sound like a selling point but trust me it is <laughs> also palamity sextus master warden of the six house is the man of all time i want him palamity he is a nerdy twink <laughs> yes <laughs> my main man yes well and he has the you made a comment about him or whatever that made you like tumblr famous yes <laughs> my comment about uh him on that post was i would climb him like a tree but he would fall over with a sad face because <laughs> he's 
so like necromancers are not very healthy people they're like really skinny and like i mean obviously it probably has something to do with like the effect of using like death magic but he would fall over so i can't anemic glasses wearing twink is my vibe is my kind of man like you say this and i think of Oh, I don't even remember. Was it the Atlantis movie? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes, that is his vibe. Yeah, like that kind of character. Milo. <laughs> the post that my my tag was on called him Milo. Milo Atlantis. Yeah. Oh, right, so right, right. that's basically exactly what he is. He also in the audiobook has like a very like northern British accent that is so good. Chef's kiss chef's kiss the other day caitlin was sending me all this fan art of calamities with a beard oh my god and i was literally like hyperventilating <laughs> like it was just everything i ever wanted it was just like oh somebody drew him in this little nurse's outfit is great which is like that gets brought up later yeah there's like a reason for it but which also sounds insane like we made it up yeah i can't <laughs> game idea you make up like one thing about the locked tomb and you put it with like three truths or like two truths and one lie. Yeah. And we have yeah. to pick which yeah. one's true. Yes. Dude, honestly, Caitlin could do it to me and I'd probably not get it right. Yeah. <laughs> I've become like a full on like locked tomb PhD. I am a psychopath. You're connecting the red strings. Yes. I'm not even kidding. I have been like connecting dots from book three to book one. Like it is. Woo. All right. Anyways. More specifically, character-wise, I wanted to touch briefly on Gideon and Harrow. First of all, is Gideon the greatest of all time? The unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. Lesbian extraordinaire. I do love a well-written, unreliable narrator. Like, oh my god. Because they take you with them and you're like, okay, where are we going? She does, too. <laughs> yeah. uh, from the brief synopsis I gave you of the story, you would kind of just naturally assume that someone who's had a tumultuous childhood like that is very sad and tortured. But Gideon is so fucking funny and she's chronically unable to take anything serious. Like, Yes. I just I just thought about the sex spell joke. Yes. <laughs> you talk, you'll wish she did it. <laughs> Um, but some of the nicknames that she made up for Harrow, she calls her Night Boss, <laughs> uh, Midnight Haggett, Butt Touched Nun. <laughs> uh, I just was listening to the audiobook yesterday, and there's a part where Harrow comes into Gideon's room on the ninth house and asks her to do something, and Gideon is like, the only job that I would do for you is if you wanted me to hold the sword while you fell on it. The only <laughs> job I would do for you is if you wanted me to spot you as you backflipped off the drill shaft into Drirba. Like, it's it's incredible. It's this great dynamic of two people who genuinely, like, really sincerely fucking hate each other. It is not yes. at all one-sided. <laughs> A lot of the times when you get people in books who quote-unquote hate each other, it's one-sided and you can very clearly tell that. It's not like that at all for Gideon and Harrow. <laughs> oh, no. Like, it is clear from the very first moment yeah. that the hate that these two girls have for each other is, like, down to the marrow. Like, it's amazing, though. It gives them the best dynamic. It's the kind of hatred that can only be cultivated by, A, teenage girls, and, B, teenage yes. girls who have known each other their entire lives. Oh, yeah. And just what you're saying, like, the power dynamic, right? The, like, yeah. privilege between, yes. you know, their stations. No, seriously. You, and the, the, another, like, 
added caveat of this is Gideon, Harrow, and an older boy, Ortis, are the only three children on the ninth house. So everybody else is like geriatric. Well, and Ortis is still, I mean, he's like... He's 35. Yeah, he's way older than yeah. Gideon and Harrow, who are 18 and 17, respectively, so... Yeah, but... Gideon is very much, like, masked and internalized a lot of the shit that has gone on in her life, you know, between growing up an orphan, clearly unwanted, and growing up, like, basically as Harrow's whipping girl. She masks a lot of it with sarcasm and jokes, but it makes for such an entertaining read. Yeah. She claims she hates Harrowhark, yet she can tell if Harrow is left in her bed or not by how the sheets are rumpled. She's built like a brick shit house. She does hundreds <laughs> of push-ups a day. She... Eat salad with her fingers, one leaf at a time, and I doesn't know her. what a bathtub is. And she doesn't want to wear the face paint because it gives her acne. <laughs> yes! <laughs> one of my favorite bits of world building from the first book was the fact that the ninth house wears face paint and everyone else is like, why the fuck do you wear face paint, you freaks? <laughs> yes! <laughs> so funny. Oh. When I heard about these books, I naturally just assumed that, like, the ninth was necromancers and everybody else had other powers. But no, they're all fucking necromancers and the ninth house is just committed to the, the bit. They're just so extra. Yeah, they've committed <laughs> to the bit like it, it's nobody's business. <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah, these are the ninth house freaks. Like, that's just how they yeah, are. Yeah, one of their most famous weapons is made, it's a chain with a, like, reinforced pelvic bone of one of the house founders. Alright. I'm not even joking. Is it holy? Is it like does that make it holy? Like a like an altar in Catholicism with a saint <laughs> relic? Well, they are they're bone magicians on the ninth, so that's basically what their specialty is. Which is one thing I really like about the magic system of this world is like everybody has the same necromantic powers, but applications of them differ between the houses. Like I said, they've committed to the fucking bit. Their thing is bones, and that's what they do. Harrow wears studs made of bone chips. She wears a choker made out of human teeth. She wears, like, an exoskeleton of ribs. Yeah! Like, she's a total freaking weirdo. <laughs> the aesthetic is so perfect. <laughs> it it's is! so aesthetic. Like, the aesthetic does not quit. Like, Gideon and Harrow have known each other their entire lives, and Gideon has never seen Harrow's naked face. Right. Like, Harrow really said, like, I'm going all in here. Well, imagine, just, like, because you are the heir to it, like, you are built to go all in. Yeah. That's true. But anyways... So Gideon is too gay to function. Literally every time the other house airs is anywhere within Gideon's orbit, she's instantly talking about how hot this girl is. Like every page that that this girl and Gideon appear on together, she is talking about how hot she is. Um, and then of course, Harrowhark. I won't talk too much about her because some of her character background is very spoilery for the book, but she's a 17-year-old who has grown up with no one but Gideon and a bunch of geriatric nuns. And treated like a prodigy her entire life, so you can imagine how insufferable she is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, she read books on ancient and forbidden methods of necromancy and mastered them at the age of 10. Kind of like with Gideon, the synopsis I gave makes it seem like she'd be very highly capable and like a pure evil psychopath, but she has no idea what she's doing half the time and makes some of the worst decisions ever in the history of the universe. Not even humanity the entire universe um she hates gideon's guts but considers gideon her only friend <laughs> i'm getting emotional about the ending of the book so can we just move on <laughs> she um 
she has the worst eating habits of anybody. She she leaves food for Gideon in their rooms at Canaan House one time, and it's literally a crust of bread in a drawer. <laughs> I forgot about that. Wait, a crust of bread in what? In a drawer. She leaves a crust of bread in a drawer. That's it. Why is it in a drawer? What? I don't know. I don't know why it's in a drawer. It's just because Harrow is a freaking little weirdo girl. Yeah. And she doesn't do anything normal. She's a complete disgrace. I love her so much. The writing in this book is beyond incredible. Tamsin Murr has this like really incredible talent for combining beautiful pedantic descriptions with dialogue that almost feels ridiculous. Like in any other book, I do not think the combination would work so well. I don't know how it does in this. Yeah. Even in one of the last book, in the book that just came out, Nona the yeah. Ninth, there is a part towards the end where there's a char- a very old character speaking in like old tongue. Yeah. But she mixes memes in with it. So like, if you read it from any other author, it would be like, what the heck is this? But <laughs> yeah. when you, but when she does it, it's just like, it's art. Yeah. I have an example here. These two quotes that I'm about to read you fall not only in the same chapter, but on the same page, literally, like a paragraph on another. So the first quote is, The first house was no longer a beautiful and empty shell buffeted by the erosion of time. Now it seemed like the blocked-up labyrinth beneath the ninth house, kept sealed in case something became restless. And then the quote, a paragraph later, is Harrow speaking to Gideon, and she says, Put it in the hole, Griddle, and Gideon responds, That's what she said. (laughs) Classic Gideon. Yes. The entire series is a gigantic puzzle. Every time I read it, I find new information or puzzle pieces that make the read worthwhile because what happens at the end of the book could be contained in a standalone novel. It jumps so far away from where you thought it was going to go. And Harrow the Ninth is, I read the whole book and was sitting there like, wait a minute, that's not what happened in the last book. Reading it back and forth and like, wait, am I, am I misremembering shit? Like, it is literally, I have it here in my very last line it's like you're being gaslit by a book the whole time you're reading it and then you get to act five and everything starts to piece together and you understand where it's going and then nona the ninth even goes even further off the rails like we start off with an unreliable narrator and then we just get to unreliable narrator volume two and then unreliable narrator volume three and they get progressively worse they do There's so many places that Tamsin has drawn inspiration from, everything from mythology-related, other literature to biblical references, that it is, it just genuinely makes me believe she's some kind of secret genius. She has the ability to beautifully integrate a kind of humor that you can really only cultivate and enjoy from, like, years of internet exposure. There's a Homestuck reference. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. I've never read Homestuck, so I miss it, but I know people have brought it up, so I know it's in there. God makes the worst dad joke of all time. There's a nun pizza left beef. <laughs> yes! Yeah, nun pizza with left beef makes an appearance. There's a blink and you'll miss it mean girls reference. There's, um, oh, there's the Obama mean, um, then perish. The, oh, then perish. What? Yeah, that's in there. <laughs> it's great. It's amazing. Uh, my parting words are if you like a variety of complex interpersonal relationships, women with a dubious sense of morality, Cool skull face paint, weird little freaks, necromancy, more lesbians than you can shake a stick at, all the aesthetic of Catholicism without any of the bigotry, back alley surgery, <laughs> possession, or being gaslighted by a book. Please read Gideon the Ninth and the Lock Tomb. 
It literally sounds like you just made it up. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. none of these things at the end make sense. You just you just put a random generator up to like have random. I phrases. know. She's like, let me think of like seven random things, and I'm just gonna write them down. But all of that is legit, and it all happens. Read it for the cool skull face paint. Stay for the memes. Yeah, stay because <laughs> that's what your brain in a fucking blender, and you can't get it out. I have not been the same. No. I, I made the comment to Caitlin this weekend, we're never going to be normal again. No. I'm never going to be fucking normal again. Are you serious? No. Oh the God. only thing in my brain forever and always is Gideon and Harrow and the ridiculous things that they think and say to each other. I'm a person who enjoys puzzles and loves things that have all these like really, really complex layers to them. Part of the reason that I love this series so much is that I love that I can go back and find new pieces each time. You know, it makes it compelling to engage with and to read every single time. You know, I've read it, I think probably, I've read Gideon, I think at least four or five times at this point, if not more so. And I've listened to the audiobook three times. Every time I'm getting an enjoyable experience out of it. I love books that do that. Yeah. Well, and it's it's one of those books too that, you know, there's always books that you're going to like to reread, but this one gets better with every reread because of the things that you maybe missed or didn't quite understand the first time. Like when I read this book the second time, it was so much better. And I already really, really loved it the first time. Definitely gets better with age. Yeah. And rereading the series after you have read the subsequent books and understand some of the things that have gone on in the background or things that you have history for now that you didn't when you first read it is mind-blowingly good. This is my first reread of Gideon since reading the third book that just came out in September. And there are so many things that are like hinted at that I, reading Gideon and having knowledge of them, didn't even, didn't even clock the first time around. It's incredible. Also, I love books where like a lot of the time you're sitting there going like, what is happening? What is going on? What is happening? And then you get to the very end and it all is pulled together and you're like, oh. It's amazing when it's well done. Yeah. Yes. Because that's like how the Night Circus is and the Watchmaker Filigree Street. Like I love all kind of weird nonlinear books. And so when when you have something that's done well like that, where it can be just like pulled in all at the end and make sense you're like oh hell yeah i am in for this so yeah gideon the ninth by tamsin murr please read it you'll love it be just the connections to mythology i know that you'll you'll enjoy no i like it i think you know because i've been around you but uh just hearing all the little tidbits and then especially living through many 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 reblogs on tumblr and such i like i know i'm gonna read it and but part of me was like especially for how complicated like how complex it is it's one of those it's like i can't do this when i have to like Mm -hmm. do my job (laughs) so i need to like wait till summertime or something when i can actually like spend time being gaslit by a book you know (laughs) like yeah i wish that i could make this book my full-time job but we aren't responsible for like therapy bills and stuff so like (laughs) yeah sorry you're gonna have to to be insane like we are when you read books for your own like poor version person form of therapy and then the book doesn't they make help. worse yeah, yeah. They, make worse. they make you worse yeah, yeah this book definitely made me worse <laughs> in yeah, a good Gideon way. the ninth looked at me and said i can't fix her i can make her worse <laughs> literally <laughs> literally <laughs> Kristen, 
What's this game you got for us? You were so excited about it. Okay. I am literally so excited. Okay. So I'm going to read you a one-star review. <gasps> yes. And you're going to tell oh, yes. me what the book is. Oh, oh. hell yes. <laughs> Excellent. And I made sure I picked books that I knew everyone had read. It's going to be stuff that we've talked about actively. But I also tried to make it challenging because that's the fun of it. So first one we have. Oh, I can't wait. Okay. 384 pages and zero substance, unless you call pages littered with problematic shit substance. Is it Court of Silver Flames? <laughs> no. That book's like 700 pages. Uh, Captive Prince. No, it's not Captive Prince. My other guess would be The Cruel Prince. You got it. That is Cruel Prince. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say my like, God. Nothing, fuck but yeah. off, whoever wrote that review. <laughs> Oh, they get worse. Eat my whole ass, whoever wrote that review. Yeah, no. When I was looking at these, I was getting so angry. Okay, next one. Fuck no. Don't even fucking think about this piece of burning garbage. Literally the worst thing I've ever read. This glamorizes abuse. Oh my god, chill out, first of all. A Court of Mist and Fury. No. See, I was gonna say that would have been Cruel Prince for, like, glamorizing abuse. I can't think of anything. I'll give you a clue. It's already been mentioned. Oh, no, is it what Caitlin had? <laughs> Kitty in the Ninth? No. Captive Prince? Oh, is it Captive Prince? It is Captive Prince. Oh, oh. Yeah, it, it is indeed uh, uh, Captive Prince. I mean, yeah, fair, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> like, over the room, you have yeah. like, all like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I was about to say, I can't think of a book that I've read that would glorify it. Mm. Yeah, then you're like, oh, yeah, it's Ca Captive <laughs> Prince. Like, yeah, fair enough. It's just not for this reviewer. That's it. Yeah. yeah. It's not for you, it's for me. Like we said in our last recording, it's for freaks who see a man whip another man almost to death and think this is true love. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, Kristen, next one. Let's go. Okay. This book is incredibly YA. <laughs> if that's your thing, you'll love it. If you want characters who are more than a collection of stock tropes in a trench coat, maybe skip this one. Six of Crows. How did you get that? Yeah, I was going to say Six of Crows too. Yeah. Oh my god, I thought that one would be hard. The fact that they mentioned multiple characters. Yeah, I think that was maybe it, yeah. And when they said it was very oh. YA, which, okay, get over yourself. It's not, but okay. Yeah, it's not. I love when people will pick up a book in the, like, description will say a ya fantasy of blah 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 and then be upset when it is ya it's like okay you came to the clown store and you were surprised when they only had rainbow wigs uh, yeah 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 girl what are you doing at the clown store like you got what you ordered okay this one's hard okay all the review is too many redheads <laughs> huh these are all books we've read they are all books that we have read and this one's a big fave among some of us. I mean, is it the darkest part of the forest? <laughs> it is not. Is it Gideon in the Nine? It is not. I was going to say, that's one, there's only one redhead. It's like mine had two because of the twins. So I was like, all right, maybe it's them. That, yeah, I also thought about the darkest part of the forest. But what else is a favorite of ours? All right, I give up. No, hold on. No, I'm not giving up. I need a guess. Okay. Lady, you said it was one of your favorite books last year. I mean, there's no way it's Defy the Night. It is Defy the Night. What? <laughs> what do you mean too many redheads? There's like one and a half. Like, isn't there one redhead in the one. whole book? There's Quint. Yeah, and that's the only one I and can think the of. And then the brothers have like red highlights, but like me too. So like what? <laughs> yeah, when I saw this, I was like, um, huh? okay. What? Yeah. 
Okay. That was a weird one. Yeah, it was a weird one. Okay, the last one is going to make everyone so angry. <gasps> yes, yes, yes. Ooh. If you're looking for a book with shallow and passive characters, dialogue that lacks any substance, and a non-existent plot, this book is for you. Is that if we were villains? No, it's not. <laughs> I don't trust myself to go into the one star. God, the reviews for this book are buck wild. Yeah, I won't go into the one stars for the Night Circus. I don't care what those people have to say. They're wrong. <laughs> they are, indeed. Can you read it again? I can. If you're looking for a book with shallow and passive characters, dialogue that lacks any substance, and a non-existent plot, this book is for you. Is it The Stolen Hair? It's not The Stolen Hair. I mean, good for us for being stumped. Yeah. <laughs> It's because this review is so wrong that you'll never think of what the book Can't is. wait to be fucking pissed. Is it like, because um, I'm trying to think of what we've all read that, like, stalking Jack the Ripper? No, it's not that. Oh my god, okay. imagine. Well, I'm trying to think, like, what would make us angry? Like, <laughs> Is it Thorn Chapel? No, but here's a clue. An extension of the story was just released. <gasps> is it fucking Sorcery of Thorns? It is Sorcery of Thorns. Oh my god. Are you serious? What? I am dead serious. The worst thing is I think I've read this review. What the fuck? What do you mean there's no plot? I did not even know. Like, when I was looking for reviews and I found this one, I was so, so angry. Because it could not be... Did we read the same book? Yeah, like, I don't think that we did. No, clearly not. Well, this is great fucking energy to end the episode on. <laughs> I am happy because I got all of them wrong. So, like, I can, like, clearly yeah. live without ever... It's one game that you're happy to yeah, lose. I'm happy to lose this game. I guess, I guess according to these reviews, we just all have bad opinions and we're all biased. Well, that's fine. Yeah, but that's okay. I'll accept it. That's why our people are in the book club. And that's why they like this podcast and everybody else is wrong. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Thank you all so much for listening. Our next episode will be out on March 14th. You can find us at Red in the Dark Pod on Instagram and Tumblr. Our email is redinthedarkpod at gmail.com if you want to ask a question about any of the books we discussed this episode. We also have a book club. You can find us at Warm Page Library on Instagram and Tumblr, where you'll find details on how to join our Discord. Finally, we're hosting some challenges on Storygraph through the book club. You can find them by searching Warn Page Libraries Book of the Month and Warn Page Libraries 23 for 2023 in the Challenges section of the app. The books we discussed this episode were Ladies' Book was Together We Burn by Isabel Ibanez and Caitlin's Book was Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Murr. The other books we mentioned were To Kill a Kingdom by Alexandra Christo, Twilight by Stephanie Meyer, King of Battle and Blood by Scarlett Sinclair, A Court of the Vampire Queen by Katie Robert, a Dowry of Blood by S.T. Gibson, Blood Orange by Karina Hale, Captive Prince by C.S. Picot, The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern, If We Were Villains by M.L. Rio, The Watchmaker of Filigree Street by Natasha Pulley, and for our game we discussed The Cruel Prince by Holly Black, Six of Crows by Lee Bardugo, Defy the Night by Bridget Kemmerer, and Sorcery of Thorns by Margaret Rogerson. Keep reading, and we'll see y'all next time. Bye! Bye! Bye. Bye.